but imagine that you don't know where you're headed. You don't have a destination set. You don't know when you're leaving. You don't know how long you're going to be there and you're not sure what you're going to do. With those four factors, it would be pretty difficult to know what to pack in your suitcase. That's how I feel most people are approaching their financial life. They don't have clarity in goals and therefore, how do you make financial decisions without a clear target or a destination? It reminds me of a Zig Ziglar quote that is, you cannot hit a target you cannot see and you cannot see a target you do not have. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, welcome and you know, thank you for being a Secrets of Success listener, subscriber, fan, whatever verb or description we want to use. I just wanted to note that we have now been doing the podcast for over five years and I just wanted to thank the listenership for just, you know, engaging the different guests, leaving comments. And so just thank you for that. And if you do have an episode that really has touched you and there's been significant sort of impact or even minor, uh, we always like to hear from you because podcast is kind of this mysterious world where shows go out and then you never sort of hear anything back and you consume it. And, and I, I admit I do that to the podcasts I listen to as well. So as always, thank you for being a listener. And if you like what we're doing, just, you know, pass it on, leave a positive comment uh, in whatever platform you're listening on. Now, today's guest uh, Chad Willardson is really a, a financial expert and has written an Amazon best-selling book, and we'll be talking about that uh, during the show. But one of the things that came up in the show was just the importance of clarity. And, you know, I spent the last over 30 years, 32 years at the time of this recording, working in this industry. And our purpose in life, my purpose in life, is to help others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And it's interesting, the majority of the population are uncertain, unclear about their direction in life. And Chad was talking about this because this applies to money as well. So one of our new resources, or at least the time of recording, it could, you could be listening to this two years later, but one of our resources is, is the Quest for Purpose e-course, where I take and break it down step-by-step, step, a roadmap to get clear in all areas of your life. When you know where you're going, you can get yourself there. And our purpose in life is to help others to live, lead, and work on purpose, then realize your potential. And so go online to crgleader.com, the quest for purpose in the online academy. And just, I mean, if you don't need it, then there's probably somebody that you do know. And just give them the gift of life. Give them the gift of clarity. Give yourself the gift of clarity. So thank you again uh, for listening. And so here's our show today around just really managing our life around the mindset around money with Chad Willardson. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, you know, life has lots of components in it. And one of those things beyond relationships and leadership skills and wellness is this whole issue about money. I mean, some people kind of say, you know, money is the root of all evil. But we know that that's not true because it's the love of money. 
And so we have a money expert on our show in Chad Willardson today. And Chad is the president and founder of Pacific Capital. So Chad, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, Chad, you know, we, we always like at Secrets of Success to go through a person's story and how they came to where they're at. So uh, just a little bit about your journey about where did you grow up and what's kind of your family of origin? What is, what is the details there? I grew up um, in the 80s. I was born in the, in the late 70s, but I grew up in the 80s in Southern California here as the oldest of four children. I've got three younger sisters, very uh, great parents, good relationship with my parents. Um, my dad was not an entrepreneur, but he was a business leader. And I, I learned a lot from him as a young boy, sometimes going to his job. He was, uh, funny enough, he was the CEO of an egg company. And egg so company. They, an egg, yeah. So they sold eggs all across the country. And it wasn't his, you know, we didn't have any farming background, but he was he was previously an accountant and then a CFO in a, in a restaurant for a restaurant company. He worked at Denny's as a CFO in management and then eventually um, an egg company hired him to be the CEO. And so I learned a lot from my dad as a business leader, very much a people person, very much a, a humble leader that really led from the front as far as work ethic and integrity. And uh, when I went to college, you know, I studied economics. I went to BYU. I studied business. My degree was in economics, but I didn't really know what I wanted to be post-college. I just knew that I wanted to work with people. I, I really have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and improve their circumstances beyond what they can see for themselves. Mm -hmm. And, and the opportunity presented itself that was in this business of wealth management and financial planning. And so it really kind of matched, matched my passions and abilities to get into this industry. Uh, that's all I've ever done. I graduated college in April of 2003 and I started in the industry in May, 2003. And here we are almost 18 years later and I love what I do. So. Cool. Well, let's just scroll back for a minute. What's it like uh, being the elder brother of three sisters? <laughs> it's funny. Um, I was not. I was not the overprotective brother that I think most would assume you would naturally be. But I. I was. You know, I definitely cared about what they were going through. They definitely had their. You know, my youngest sister is almost eight years younger than me. So mm -hmm. when I left for college, she was. You know, she was only ten years old. But we, we've kept a great relationship. In fact, I've helped connect their husbands to their jobs, each of them. And now we all live within five minutes of each other. And so wow. they're here. So, so you would say that you are pretty connected to your siblings. Absolutely. Yeah, very close with my family. In fact, we had a meeting last night with my parents, all 13, 14 grandchildren, and me and my sisters and all of our spouses because we were – we're planning a big family reunion in Hawaii at the end of July. So last night was a big fun meeting to talk about that. So yes, I'm very, very much a family, a family man. Well, I have to ask because Hawaii is one of my favorite places. Which Island are you going to? Or are yeah, you going to go to multiple? Yeah, no, this time we're going to the North shore of Oahu, one of our favorites. So cool. Excellent. And yeah. uh, not to uh, take over the show, but my daughter just got back from that. And of course she said, Hey, listen, we need to buy a place there. 
can't complain about Hawaii. So much to admire and appreciate there. Uh, when we go back, what was your mom's sort of um, profession? My mom graduated with a business marketing degree. She was she she worked in marketing until I believe it was until I was born, and then she became a full time mother. While she didn't work outside of the home, I. I learned a lot about how to work with people, communication, marketing. And mm. so I credit a lot of my business success, not just to my dad, but definitely to my mom as well. Mm. Well, mama always take care of their kids and especially their boys for sure. Uh, so I appreciate that. That's great. Now, you went to um, university. What was really driving you to get into this industry? What was sort of behind all of that? What was the motivation to, I mean, a lot of kids come out of university and they really don't know what they want to do when they grow up. So where do you think you got your clarity from on that? I, you know, I was about to graduate college. I was already married. I I got married young. I was 22, almost 23. And I was about to graduate in April. And I remember in January, a distinct conversation with my mom. And she said, you're going to graduate in three months and you're married and you do not have a career or a job lined up. And basically she lit a fire under me and I said, I don't know what I want to do yet, mom. And she said, well, you, you don't have much time to figure it out. You need to go figure something out. And so I went to the career fair in February. It was the winter career fair. And I met with, I basically went booth to booth and talked about each job and each company, many different industries. There was technology, there was law, there was consulting, manufacturing. And then I got to the booth that was uh, Merrill Lynch and it had a few of the different big investment banks there. And um, I didn't know a lot about it. I'd done an internship in finance and investing and I thought it was interesting, but really I think the, the dynamic recruiter there really caught my attention when as he said, said that there's great opportunities to make a big impact in this industry. And he said, if you want a job where you sit behind a desk and you don't deal with people and you just kind of shuffle papers and numbers and spreadsheets, this is not the job for you. But if you want a job and a career that actually you'll meet one-on-one with families and the advice and the, the insights and resources you give them could make a major impact on their future, then this is a career you need to look into. And when he said that, I, I went home on, back to my apartment in college and I thought about it and I said, you know what? Like, I would rather do something where I'm out and about with people than simply sitting behind a desk all day and, and working for a major corporation where I don't actually get to interact with the end user. And so it, it wasn't that I was seeking a job in wealth management or personal finance. It was just more or less the, the aspects of the industry that caught my attention and, I, and once I got into it, I figured, well, if I'm going to do it, I want to be the best I can be, and I better learn about all the actual parts of this job in this industry. And that's, that's kind of what brought me here. Mm. Again, scroll back a little bit. You just slipped in the fact, well, I got married young. So yes. uh, did you meet your wife at university, or where did you meet her? I did, yeah. We met in college, and she, she was a couple years younger than me. She graduated with a degree in psychology. And she, so she was actually graduated from college and married at the age of 20. So she was definitely a go-getter. Um, also from California. Uh, married to you, Chad. Just the yes. sidebar, just the notation. Yeah. Yes, married to me. So so she, she was already, I mean, she finished her degree in three years and went to spring and summer school and worked extra overtime to, to make it happen. 
Mm. Well, obviously, uh, you're attracted to one another. Uh, did I hear a rumor that you guys have five kids? That's a true statement. We have five children, yes. And so uh, how's that being a father of these kids? And, and I guess I want to kind of dive into what are you now teaching them yeah. that your parents taught you about some life principles? I, to me, it's everything. Family is everything. It's uh, business. I think one of the things we get caught up in and the in the work culture is that business is everything and people wear their, their hours of spent at the office, like it's a badge of honor. And I've always preached just the opposite that having a perspective bigger than just business or money is critical to actual fulfillment and actual success. Uh, success is not defined by what's in your bank account. It's really defined by the life you leave and the, and the impact that you're, that you're having on others. So being a father of five to me is, it's first of all, it's intentional. Um, we, we wanted to have a big family. My wife is one of six. I'm one of four. So we settled on five kids and my oldest is 16 and our youngest is five. Um, they, they each play two sports minimum, most of them three sports. And so we pretty much at night we're we're just driving around to sports. You know, I'm flying to Florida on Thursday for a volleyball tournament for my daughter. Mm. Um, we're striving to teach them the similar values that my parents taught me. Um, each of our children is required to learn an instrument from age five to senior year of high school. Right now they're all doing piano. They're also uh, supposed to learn a second language. So our kids are in a dual immersion Spanish program for school. So they, um, our older ones are fluent in Spanish and the younger ones are learning pretty quickly. Well, not not to be politically incorrect, but English is the second language in California and Florida. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it, it, it's important to know English and Spanish here, no doubt. No well, it's doubt. cool. I mean, I, I, I actually envy people who are multilingual, and uh, my parents came from Hungary. Oh, yeah. And immigrated to North America, to Canada, but they never taught me the language, so I'm a little irritated with them, mm. uh, because as immigrants, they were picked on, so they just didn't yes. want us to be learning that language and then be picked on when we went to school as well. So I get that. Well, that's cool, dad, that you're doing that yeah. and really yeah. nurturing the girls to, and, or your kids to, yeah. um, you know, learn a language, but also the sports. So you have volleyball. What other sports are there in so, the family? Yeah. So there's volleyball, basketball, football, lacrosse, soccer, gymnastics, and dance. So those are the sports that our kids are currently on a team and participating in. There we, like I said, we uh, we only had two kids, but I know how much that was to take them to all the different events that you had yeah. Uh, yeah. as well. So excellent. Thank you so I'll, much. I'll say this too, Ken, my, my second book, which comes out hopefully September of this year, 2021, is really about, well, the book title is called Smart Not Spoiled. And it's the seven money skills your kids must master before leaving the nest. Mm. And although it's focused on money skills, because I really believe that we, we are really failing the children and not teaching them more about personal finance in their young age. I, you know, they turn 18, they graduate high school, and they know how to dissect a frog. They know the, in, you know, the inner parts of a cell, but they have no idea about taxes or loans or investing or retirement anything like that. And they're getting solicited with credit card solicitations. And so my, my idea was how can I share 
my experience and the things that I'm trying to teach that my wife and I are teaching our children as well as some of my friends and clients that are doing creative things to teach their children how to be smart not spoiled and really put that into a book so I, I'm excited about that that's coming out this year well that's uh, that's great and of course I would want all the listeners to look for that uh, once it comes out and you know these podcasts are legacy so somebody could be listening to this three years after we Right. record it uh, anytime, right. anywhere online. So uh, smart, not spoiled. I love the uh, the title. Now Thank we're going we're going to get into your expertise here uh, a bit. You know, when we think about money, and you're dealing with families. And by the way, I agree with you 100. Uh, percent I've at different times we sponsored events with Robert Kiyosaki and just some oh, of the cool. stuff that he was doing around rich dad poor dad. You know, 20 years ago. What have you learned as a you know, a person that's managing wealth and families, what have you learned that families are not doing? And by the way, listeners, uh, Chad has a book already, which was an, a number one Amazon bestseller called Stress-Free Money. So make sure you've got that book out there already for people to be able to access. So that being said, what have you learned as far as the mistakes or misconceptions or mindsets or I, ideas about money that people really are just off base on? Wow, that's, I mean, that's a great question. It's something I feel like I could talk about for days. Uh, well, we've, but, we've, got, we've got 20, 20 some minutes, okay. so let's do right. it. Do so, what we can so there. I'll, I'll dive into, I'll give a peek into the first book, Stress-Free Money, because it is, the subtitle is Overcome These Seven Obstacles to Find Financial Freedom. And so the obstacles are the common things that I see people run into as roadblocks and like you said most of them are really mindset driven so the first roadblock or obstacle I find is that people don't have clear goals and if you imagine yourself going on a vacation preparing for a vacation and getting your suitcase out to pack for your trip but imagine that you don't know where you're headed you don't have a destination set you don't know when you're leaving you don't know how long you're going to be there and you're not sure what you're going to do. With those four factors, it would be pretty difficult to know what to pack in your suitcase. That's how I feel most people are approaching their financial life. They don't have clarity in goals, and therefore, how do you make financial decisions without a clear target or a destination? It reminds me of a Zig Ziglar quote, that is, you cannot hit a target you cannot see, and you cannot see a target you do not have. Mm. I, so the, um, I met Zig personally in 1989, no way. Uh, so awesome. I appreciate that person as, <laughs> as a quote. Some people might not know who he is, but uh, an amazing speaker and, and professor of wisdom. Absolutely. I love, I love his, his inspiration, really. I mean, that, that's one of the main things that I see is that it's, it all starts with goals. People come to us and they want they want investment advice or they're talking about a loan or this or that, but really... You, you can't like you can't get a prescription from a doctor unless you have a thorough diagnosis and you understand where the pain points are and you understand what your goal is and that's really something that I see that families no matter what stage you're at you could be very early in your career or you could be close to retired or you could be retired if you don't have clarity on your goals it's very difficult to make decisions you need to have some context um, one of the biggest challenges I see today as well is that we're inundated with information. We're bombarded. The news, the social media, 
the alerts on your phone, on your smartphone, it's never ending. And you would think that with more information, we are smarter and we make better decisions, but unfortunately that's not the case. Uh, we're, we're just overly, we're overwhelmed. And people are overwhelmed and intimidated and most of the news that's coming at people isn't personally relevant. It's not something that we can influence. And if it's outside of your control, you really have to ask yourself how much should, how much emotion and energy should you invest into it? Would it be better to spend your time and resources and your energy on things you can control? Like your spending, like your savings, like your earnings, like your discipline, like your health, you know, all these things you talk about health and wellness. I really believe financial health and physical and emotional and mental health is, are very highly correlated. Mm -hmm. um, the way you take care of yourself financially and the way you take care of yourself physically really correlate with each other. We find that most people who are disciplined with their personal health are probably also disciplined with their finances. So that's something well, I you're, think you're using important. a word that not everybody likes and that is the word discipline. True. The, the True. D word is a swear word for some people. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I gotta be constrained to have all these yeah. uh, restrictions. And of course, I, I agree with you, uh, Chad, 100%. We haven't had a TV in our house for nearly 20 years. I love it. Uh, it's mostly, it's love mostly it. polluted now. We stream now, and of course, you have all the access to anything you want. Sure. You watch what you want, when you want, kind of how. Uh, and a lot input equals output. But with that, are there some other things out there? We just see so much indebtedness, uh, Chad. We're, you know, talk to us about that and just this... Uh, and there's my wife worked at a university as an academic coach for a decade, and she's also a teacher by profession. But there seems to be some entitlement going on out there too. So talk to us about that. Yeah. Significant entitlement, as well as that. I think the biggest issue I see is the comparison and envy and jealousy, and, and people on social media seeing someone else's highlight reel of their life and believing that's somehow regular. Uh, we have to realize that the things that are posted on social media are the best highlights and that's okay. You know, I have no problem celebrating someone else's highlights, but comparison is the thief of joy. I love that quote. And if we get caught up in comparing what someone else has or the, you know, say that, say that again slowly for the listeners. I think yeah, com comparison is the thief of joy. Wow. You awesome. Know, and, and so we get caught up in comparing, and when you compare, you believe either you don't want someone to have what they have, or you, you feel you deserve it yourself. And that's where I believe the entitlement comes into play is, well, look at all the fancy things that they have, or look at all the trips that they go on, therefore, I deserve that too, and I want that attention as well. And people go into significant debt, or they make financial decisions that are really gonna hurt their future, simply because they've been caught up in the trap of, I want to have what they have and I want to do what they do. But there's no real context in that because you're just seeing basically a highlight reel, almost a sports center top 10 highlights on someone's social media. So the, the entitlement factor, I believe it's great to enjoy your life and if you can afford it, do the things that you love to do and, and there's no shame in that. However, make sure, make sure your financial house is in order and make sure your your priorities for your life, your family and everything is, and what's important to you is first. You know, for me, 
my faith and my family is very important to me. And that's not going to be compromised at the, at the, for the sake of earning more money or buying more toys or doing something that is going to financially put us in a, a bad compromise situation in the future. Mm-hmm. Now you, you got into the industry. I understand you have your own financial management firm. So how did that occur? I was, I spent nine years at a very large company, Merrill Lynch, big wealth management investment bank. And I just felt, you know, there was a great need to be more independent and to give people the personal advice and service as a fiduciary that they deserve. So I, you know, I got the courage to actually make a change. And on uh, 11, 11, 11, a little bit of superstitious luck, I guess I left and I started Pacific capital and I've never looked back. So now we'll hit our 10 year anniversary this year. I believe the, the, the freedom to be independent and to serve the needs of, of the people we serve best and not have the constraints or the conflicts of interest of the big bank. That's been a major advantage for us. And I've learned so much about leadership and the people, how important your team is and hiring and and things like that, that I I really am blessed and I'm very grateful for the people that we have now that that have helped build a great business. So, well, there are people, excuse me, unfortunately in the industry, Chad, who um, are not as trustworthy as you might be. Uh, so I guess there are some people that would be a little hesitant around some of these services just because of that reputation that precedes some people. Basically, it's one of the least trusted industries in the country. I'm sure of it. I, I start off my video on my website saying, look, I get it. It's difficult to know whom to trust for financial advice. I understand that. And in the book, Stress-Free Money, there's a chapter that talks about, in fact, one of the obstacles that I named is biased advice from financial salespeople. That's chapter four of seven. And I talk about what you should look for when seeking financial advice to make sure, like basically nobody should be winning at your expense. And that's where a lot of the mistrust comes from is there there are a lot of companies and a lot of people that are really just unfortunately looking out for themselves more than their clients. And so wherever you are, if you can find a fiduciary advisor that puts your interests first, doesn't have the, the big commissions and the quotas and all the things that come along with it that give us that pause, then I think you're going to be much, much better positioned to have a successful win-win relationship. Mm-hmm. What are some of the, thank you, Chad. What are some of the other obstacles you have in your book, stress-free money uh, for sure. people to consider? Yeah. One of them is taking too much risk or not enough. This is something I see all the time. I, people come in and they have significant amounts of money sitting at the bank earning basically 0.0% as of this podcast in 2021 significant amount of money sitting there earning zero. They feel it's not at risk because it doesn't change in value. The reality is it's absolutely at risk because inflation is a real factor and that money is not growing. It's earning 0% minus inflation. It might be minus two or minus 3% a year. Mm-hmm. And I believe inflation is going to continue to rise because of all the spending and borrowing done by the government. So therefore, they're not taking enough risk. They're not growing their money. 
or young people who are just nervous to invest for growth because they're, they're scared by everything that's going on in the world. And so once again, they're, they're probably investing like their 80-year-old grandparents rather than their 30-year-old self. On the flip side, many people are taking too much risk. They're, they're trying to get rich quick. They're trying to jump into something that will bail out their lack of savings and discipline over their years. So they kind of want to make up for it and swing for the grand slam, swing for the fences. And they've got all their money in very risky private investments and they don't have any diversification. They're basically hoping to get bailed out. People are jumping into penny stocks or, or things that they just hope will suddenly go to 10 times in the next few months. So I see a lot of people that come in and have either way, they're taking way too much risk or they're really actually not taking enough risk. So there is a balance. There's something in between where you have mm-hmm. more of a diversified balanced plan that is based on your goals. You're not just throwing darts at the board. So that's, that's an obstacle I see that's very, very prevalent today. You were starting, uh, thanks for that, Chad. You were uh, starting around that kids are not taught money or you know, physical mm-hmm. intelligence at school. What are some of the other things that you are teaching your kids that not only can we teach our kids, but we can teach ourselves to consider? You know, I, t- I teach them about, well, first of all, we've never had an allowance. So our kids don't even know what an allowance is. Um, we have a spreadsheet of opportunity. That's, that's what it's called. So there are, I've probably put, my wife and I probably put 40 to 50 different activities on the spreadsheet of opportunity that they can choose from that will earn them points. And it's, it goes Saturday, Saturday morning to Saturday morning every week. And they mark it down every day what they've completed. And at the end of the week, they get, they get, they earn money based on how many points they've come, they've achieved essentially. And they can do whatever they want with that. And I, I believe that we're teaching them not to be entitled. They're not getting paid just because they're breathing and they're alive, but it's like, hey, there's opportunities out there. If you want to capture them, it's up to you. If you want to take it easy this week and earn less, that's also up to you. But I've, I've seen it uh, really fuel some some exciting progress in the kids. And every there's so many different things on there. It could be like vacuum mom's car and Windex the windows. It could be sweep and mop the kitchen floor. It could be wipe down the piano. It could be help my younger sibling with their homework, uh, practice the piano, 30 minutes of outdoor exercise. There's a, a variety of things that I believe over time will teach them not only to be accountable, but also to have some, some habits in their life that carry them forward as they grow up. So that's, that's one of the ideas that we've implemented as a family that I think could be applicable I love it. I love it. So again, um, you said opportunity rewards for or acknowledgement for effort put in right. uh, rather than, okay, uh, I'm here, dad, give me my 20 bucks or whatever it is for the week or whatever exactly. the, the amount is. Exactly. What else are you going to be including in this smart, not spoiled book? <laughs> That's a good question. So we, we, I basically go over seven key financial areas that I believe kids need to learn and understand better before they, before they leave the house at 18. I, in the back of each chapter, we're going to have a section for activity ideas 
because I think kids learn through experiences. They learn with the hands-on um, experiments and just activities and lessons. So we have, we're going to have some activity ideas for younger kids and then activity ideas for older kids that will help bring home the lesson of each financial topic. So we're uh, probably 80, 80 to 90% of the way done writing the book, and then it'll go to editing and publishing for the next few months. And being a, an author of uh, several books, I, I know the efforts you're going into to get that done. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so most people realize you re, re, we read your book in two hours and it took you uh, two years to put it together. Exactly. Uh, exactly. But that's what a good book's about, is using right. the work up front. Now, right. when we think about, uh, you know, our, our show is mostly adults. Right. And so what other, I'll call it fiscal or mindset strategies do you think are important for people to consider and we can just go wherever you want to go with that Chad so that we can you know impart some wisdom we have about you know eight ten minutes left in the show so what are some of the things that you're really teaching others uh, one one other point that we're teaching others is to really get their feelings out of the financial decision-making process uh, the emotions Financial behavior and investment results, it really depends on how people handle their emotions. Because so much of what you're doing is based on how you feel. And so, how do I actually do that, Chad? Where, I mean, yeah. most people are connected to it. In fact, um, you know, one of my friends is actually our lawyer as well, and he says he watched his family sue each other right. over estates, and there's nothing left in the end because they just needed to be right. And it went uh, all to the lawyers. Uh, I, I think that it's, you know, it's difficult, but whenever you get your emotions involved, you, you make expensive mistakes. That's what I've seen. And people, whether it comes to investing and the markets are really high and they feel overconfident or say real estate is really high, they feel like it's easy and overconfident or the markets are low and they feel destitute and concerned and they want to sell their investments for a cheap price or they're, they're, totally wrapped up and excited about a particular house. And so they're willing to overpay by 25% just because they've already emotionally committed to that purchase. Mm. It's, it's a challenge, you know, or they won't sell the business because it's not as high of a price that they always expected they would sell their business for and retire. And yet it's not, you know, it may be a perfect opportunity right now, but their feelings are telling them that they, they always wanted to get a number, and if they don't get that number, they're not selling. I just feel like you, if you don't have a financial plan, if you don't have something that's guiding your decision-making, you don't have some structure around it, then when you have those moments of high stress and opportunity, you might just go on whatever your feelings are telling you to do, and oftentimes without any kind of feedback as well. Like if you don't have a professional in your, on your corner who can look at it objectively, you might just go with the feelings of the day, and often that's going to be, you're going to look back and realize maybe that wasn't the best call. Mm, mm, uh, for sure. Now, you know, emotions is one thing, and we talked about the word discipline before. What are some of the, and then we talked about debt and people getting into it, Right. There's a couple other things that link around the D word, the discipline word. Uh, I think habits. You know, what what are the habits and the habit patterns you're creating financially? Um, what are you see? What are you seeing in people out there that really are just broken habits? Uh, I I believe people start off every year wanting to lose weight and save more money. 
I think that's common. Those are New Year's resolutions that everyone can relate to. But what do, what do people actually do to save more money or invest more money? Like, what are they actually putting in place? My advice is make things that you can, make them automatic. Take away the decision. Um, a client of mine wrote a great book called Willpower Doesn't Work, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Willpower Doesn't Work. Mm-hmm. He said you need to set up your environment that will support your goals and how you view your future self. Don't depend on willpower because willpower will eventually fade. So a simple thing is setting up an automatic investment or savings transfer from your paycheck or from your checking account directly into an investment account. Make it go out weekly. You see that compound effect. You, you feel that confidence growing as you're, because you know that each week you're putting a little bit away to make progress for your future goals. So the little things that you can automate, I believe are very important. If you're paying down debt, setting up to where an automatic extra principal payment is going against your debt, it seems so simple. But if you depend on the willpower of, well, once all my bills are paid, I'll see if I have enough and how much I should put against my loan. That's, that's not going to be a winning strategy. You're going to have much better success if you set up something that's automatic that, that has built-in habits towards your, the goals that you're trying to reach. Mm, absolutely. Uh, I know, have you ever heard of Marshall Goldsmith? Who wrote I have the not. Book, uh, who wrote the book no. Triggers, but also What Got You Here Won't Get oh. You There. Yeah, I've, I've heard of Triggers, yes. Okay, so um, I was invited to an event. So Marshall's one of the top coaches in the world. And one of the things he talks about there, which just to support your comment, Chad, is that nothing happens without structure. Mm. So if we're coaching CEOs and we're trying to implement behavioral change, this idea of having a conversation and not having a structure or a plan for behavioral change, it does not occur. So it's true in everything in life. Yet some people think, well, I'll just have more money tomorrow with no plan, no structure, right. no, no system in place to be able to uh, do it. So we only have a few minutes left. Uh, one of the things, uh, Chad, we want to make sure that people can find out about you and find out about your information. How might they do that? So I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I've got about 31,000 followers there and I'm posting daily. So LinkedIn is a great way to engage. And then pacificcapital.com is the company that I own that is in the wealth management space for entrepreneurs and families. And uh, there I have a weekly newsletter that's free, no obligation to sign up for that. And then, of course, on Amazon, if, if you want to check out my book, we've got it in audio form, Kindle, paperback, and hardcover. So it's there, Stress-Free Money. Okay, so give them the full title of your book again. Yeah, Stress-Free Money, Overcome These Seven Obstacles to Find Financial Freedom. And then later in fall 2021, we'll have a Smart Not Spoiled coming out as well. Super. Well, uh, Chad, we only have, you know, a couple of minutes left, but um, what would be sort of your final pieces of wisdom and information to the audience today that they can just noodle on and, and or just implement immediately after listening to this podcast? Final pieces of wisdom and my message, going away message would be that most people experience anxiety or stress about their financial life. And I believe it's because they know deep down that they haven't quite done enough or they have some regrets or maybe they just, they're not totally organized or they're overwhelmed and they don't know where to turn. 
I believe that that stress is voluntary. You know, I wrote the book Stress-Free Money because I really believe that no, no matter what income level you're at, you can have some level of financial freedom and a more stress-free relationship with your financial life. It just takes a little bit of preparation, a little bit of work up front. You don't need millions and millions and millions of dollars to, to have financial freedom. And, and I believe it's possible for everyone. That's why I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Chad Willardson, I want to say that correctly for my dyslexic friends. Uh, <laughs> thanks for hanging out with us today. Thank I appreciate you. your insight and your wisdom that you shared. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome, Chad. So stay on the line, Chad. So Secrets of Success listeners, you know, we've talked about wellness. We've talked about leadership. We've talked about communication on the show. But the reality is, is every single person listening to this needs a monetary situation or money to live. We're in an economic society. Unless you're living underneath a bridge and don't, uh, well, even then you need some food. Somebody's got to give you some food. So take what Chad has shared with you today, pass it on, consider it, think about it, and move your headspace into this stress-free money. What would that mean to you if you really didn't worry about money anymore? Wow. Wow. Would that be emotionally freeing for you? Now, as always, Thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, leave a positive comment on any platform you are listening on. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.